0: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 21 Lord and Lady Mountberry were received by the housekeeper, the manager being absent for a day or two on business, connected with the affairs of the hotel. The rooms reserved for the travelers on the first floor were three in number, "'consisting of two bedrooms opening into each other "'and communicating on the left with the drawing-room. "'Complete so far, the arrangements proved to be less satisfactory "'in reference to the third bedroom required for Agnes "'and for the eldest daughter of Lord Mountberry, "'who usually slept with her on their travels. "'The bedchamber on the right of the drawing-room "'was already occupied by an English widow-lady,' Other bedchambers, at the other end of the corridor, were also let in every case. There was, accordingly, no alternative but to place at the disposal of Agnes a comfortable room on the second floor. Lady Mountberry vainly complained of this separation of one of the members of her travelling party from the rest. The housekeeper politely hinted that it was impossible for her to ask other travellers to give up their rooms. She could only express her regret— and assure Miss Lockwood that her bedchamber, on the second floor, was one of the best rooms in that part of the hotel. On the retirement of the housekeeper, Lady Mountberry noticed that Agnes had seated herself apart, feeling apparently no interest in the question of the bedrooms. Was she ill? No. She felt a little unnerved by the railway journey, and that was all. Hearing this, Lord Mountberry proposed that she should go out with him and try the experiment of half an hour's walk in the cool evening air. Agnes gladly accepted the suggestion. They directed their steps towards the square of St. Mark, so as to enjoy the breeze blowing over the lagoon. It was the first visit of Agnes to Venice. The fascination of the wonderful city of the waters exerted its full influence over her sensitive nature— The proposed half-hour of the walk had passed away and was fast expanding to a half-an-hour more before Lord Mountberry could persuade his companion to remember that dinner was waiting for them. As they returned, passing under the colonnade, neither of them noticed a lady in deep mourning loitering in the open space of the square. She started as she recognized Agnes, walking with the new Lord Mountberry, hesitated for a moment, and then followed them "'at a discreet distance back to the hotel. "'Lady Mountberry received Agnes in high spirits, "'with news of an event which had happened in her absence. "'She had not left the hotel more than ten minutes, "'before a little note in pencil "'was brought to Lady Mountberry by the housekeeper. "'The writer proved to be no less a person "'than the widow lady who occupied the room "'on the other side of the drawing-room, "'which her ladyship had vainly hoped to secure for Agnes.' Writing under the name of Mrs. James, the polite widow explained that she had heard from the housekeeper of the disappointment experienced by Lady Mountberry in the matter of the rooms. Mrs. James was quite alone, and as long as her bedchamber was airy and comfortable, it mattered nothing to her whether she slept on the first or the second floor of the house. She had accordingly much pleasure in proposing to change rooms with Miss Lockwood, Her luggage had already been removed, and Miss Lockwood had only to take possession of the room, No. 13A, which was now entirely at her disposal. "'I immediately proposed to see Mrs. James,' Lady Mountberry continued, and to thank her personally for her extreme kindness. But I was informed that she had gone out, without leaving word at what hour she might be expected to return.' "'I have written a little note of thanks, saying that we hope to have the pleasure of personally expressing our sense of Mrs. James's courtesy to-morrow. "'In the meantime, Agnes, I have ordered your boxes to be removed downstairs. "'Go, and judge for yourself, my dear, if that good lady has not given up to you the prettiest room in the house.' "'With those words Lady Mountbury left Miss Lockwood to make a hasty toilet for dinner.' The new room at once produced a favorable impression on Agnes. The large window, opening into a balcony, commanded an admirable view of the canal. The decorations on the walls and ceiling were skillfully copied from the exquisitely graceful designs of Raphael in the Vatican. The massive wardrobe possessed compartments of unusual size, in which double the number of dresses that Agnes possessed might have been conveniently hung at full length. In the inner corner of the room near the head of the bedstead, there was a recess which had been turned into a little dressing-room, and which opened by a second door on the interior staircase of the hotel, commonly used by the servants. Noticing these aspects of the room at a glance, Agnes made the necessary change in her dress as quickly as possible. On her way back to the drawing-room, she was addressed by a chambermaid in the corridor who asked for her key— "'I will put your room tidy for the night, miss,' the woman said, "'and I will then bring the key back to you in the drawing-room.' "'While the chambermaid was at her work, a solitary lady, "'loitering about the corridor of the second story, "'was watching her over the banisters. "'After a while the maid appeared, with her pail in her hand, "'leaving the room by way of the dressing-room and the back stairs. "'As she passed out of sight, the lady on the second floor,' no other, it is needless to add, than the countess herself, ran swiftly down the stairs, entered the bedchamber by the principal door, and hid herself in the empty side compartment of the wardrobe. The chambermaid returned, completed her work, locked the door of the dressing-room on the inner side, locked the principal entrance-door on leaving the room, and returned the key to Agnes in the drawing-room. The travellers were just sitting down to their late dinner, when one of the children noticed that Agnes was not wearing her watch. Had she left it in her bedchamber in the hurry of changing her dress? She rose from the table at once in search of her watch. Lady Mountberry advising her as she went out to see to the security of her bedchamber in the event of there being thieves in the house. Agnes found her watch forgotten on the toilet table as she had anticipated. Before leaving the room again, she acted on Lady Mountberry's advice, and tried the key in the lock of the dressing-room door. It was properly secured. She left the bedchamber, locking the main door behind her. Immediately on her departure, the Countess, oppressed by the confined air in the wardrobe, ventured on stepping out of her hiding-place into the empty room, Entering the dressing-room, she listened at the door, until the silence outside informed her that the corridor was empty. Upon this, she unlocked the door, and, passing out, closed it again softly, leaving it to all appearance, when viewed on the inner side, as carefully secured as Agnes had seen it when she tried the key in the lock with her own hand. While the Mountberries were still at dinner, Henry Westwick joined them, arriving from Milan, When he entered the room, and again when he advanced to shake hands with her, Agnes was conscious of a latent feeling which secretly reciprocated Henry's unconcealed pleasure on meeting her again. For a moment only she returned his look, and in that moment her own observation told her that she had silently encouraged him to hope. She saw it in the sudden glow of happiness which overspread his face, and she confusedly took refuge in the usual conventional inquiries relating to the relatives whom he had left at Milan. Taking his place at the table, Henry gave a most amusing account of the position of his brother Francis, between the mercenary opera-dancer on one side and the unscrupulous manager of the French theatre on the other. Matters had proceeded to such extremities that the law had been called on to interfere and had decided the dispute in favor of Francis. On winning the victory, the English manager had at once left Milan, recalled to London by the affairs of his theatre. He was accompanied on the journey back, as he had been accompanied on the journey out by his sister. Resolved, after passing two nights of terror in the Venetian hotel, never to enter it again, Mrs. Norbury asked to be excused from appearing at the family festival on the ground of ill health, At her age, traveling fatigued her, and she was glad to take advantage of her brother's escort to return to England. While the talk at the dinner-table flowed easily onward, the evening time advanced to-night, and it became necessary to think of sending the children to bed. As Agnes rose to leave the room, accompanied by the eldest girl, she observed with surprise that Henry's manner suddenly changed. He looked serious and preoccupied, and when his niece wished him good night, he abruptly said to her, "Marianne, I want to know what part of the hotel you sleep in." Marianne, puzzled by the question, answered, "That she was going to sleep, as usual, with Aunt Agnes." Not satisfied with that reply, Henry next inquired whether the bedroom was near the rooms occupied by the other members of the traveling party. Answering for the child, and wondering what Henry's object could possibly be, Agnes mentioned the polite sacrifice made to her convenience by Mrs. James. Thanks to that lady's kindness, she said, Marianne and I are only on the other side of the drawing-room. Henry made no remark. He looked incomprehensibly discontented as he opened the door for Agnes and her companion to pass out. After wishing them good-night, he waited in the corridor until he saw them enter the fatal corner room, and then he called abruptly to his brother. Come out, Stephen, and let us smoke. As soon as the two brothers were at liberty to speak together privately, Henry explained the motive which had led to his strange inquiries about the bedrooms. Francis had informed him of the meeting with the Countess at Venice and of all that had followed it and Henry now carefully repeated the narrative to his brother in all its details. "'I am not satisfied,' he added, "'about that woman's purpose in giving up her room. "'Without alarming the ladies by telling them what I have just told you, "'can you not warn Agnes to be careful in securing her door?' "'Lord Mountbury replied that the warning had been already given by his wife, "'and that Agnes might be trusted to take good care of herself and her little bedfellow. For the rest, he looked upon the story of the Countess and her superstitions as a piece of theatrical exaggeration, amusing enough in itself, but unworthy of a moment's serious attention. While the gentlemen were absent from the hotel, the room, which had been already associated with so many startling circumstances, became the scene of another strange event in which Lady Mountberry's eldest child was concerned. Little Marianne had been got ready for bed as usual and had, so far, taken hardly any notice of the new room. As she knelt down to say her prayers, she happened to look up at that part of the ceiling above her which was just over the head of the bed. The next instant she alarmed Agnes by starting to her feet with a cry of terror and pointing to a small brown spot on one of the white-paneled spaces of the carved ceiling. "'It's a spot of blood,' "'the child exclaimed. "'Take me away. I won't sleep here.' "'Seeing plainly that it would be useless to reason with her "'while she was in the room, "'Agnes hurriedly wrapped Marianne in a dressing-gown "'and carried her back to her mother in the drawing-room. "'Here the ladies did their best to soothe "'and reassure the trembling girl. "'The effort proved to be useless. "'The impression that had been produced "'on the young and sensitive mind "'was not to be removed by persuasion.' Marianne could give no explanation of the panic of terror that had seized her. She was quite unable to say why the spot on the ceiling looked like the color of a spot of blood. She only knew that she should die of terror if she saw it again. Under these circumstances, but one alternative was left. It was arranged that the child should pass the night in the room occupied by her two younger sisters and the nurse. In half an hour more, Marianne was peacefully asleep, "'with her arm around her sister's neck. "'Lady Mountberry went back with Agnes to her room "'to see the spot on the ceiling, "'which had so strangely frightened the child. "'It was so small as to be only just perceptible, "'and it had in all probability "'been caused by the carelessness of a workman "'or by a dripping from water "'accidentally spilt on the floor of the room above.' "'I really cannot understand why Marianne should play such a shocking interpretation "'on such a trifling thing,' Lady Mountberry remarked. "'I suspect the nurse is in some way answerable for what has happened,' Agnes suggested. "'She may quite possibly have been telling Marianne some tragic nursery story "'which has left its mischievous impression behind it. "'Persons in her position are sadly ignorant of the danger of exciting a child's imagination,' You had better caution the nurse tomorrow. Lady Mountbury looked round the room with admiration. "Is it not prettily decorated?" she said. "I suppose Agnes, you don't mind sleeping here by yourself." Agnes laughed. "I feel so tired," she replied, "that I was thinking of bidding you good night instead of going back to the drawing-room." Lady Mountbury turned towards the door. I see your jewel case on the table, she resumed. Don't forget to lock the other door there in the dressing room. I have already seen to it and tried the key myself, said Agnes. Can I be of any use to you before I go to bed? No, my dear, thank you. I feel sleepy enough to follow your example. Good night, Agnes, and pleasant dreams on your first night in Venice. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.